we start, I just want to uh, share a word for, for Lisa Blicker and for her church. So Lisa, if you're watching right now, uh, Revelation chapter 3, uh, the church in Philadelphia, verse 7. I just want to read this and declare it over you and what you're doing down there. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And this is a prophetic word for Lisa and the word you're doing, the work you're doing down there, that God is opening up doors. And I'm, I've been so encouraged to hear the testimonies of what he's opening up with the civil authorities. And God's saying there's a door opening before you that no one can shut. Keep contending for it. Keep pressing in for it. Amen. Amen. All right. Now for us. <laughs> Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Let's start at verse 18. This is a prayer of Jesus. So he's praying with his disciples over a Passover meal. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them, his disciples, into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world, Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved, loved me may be in them, and I in them. Father in heaven, we agree with these words of Jesus this morning. Would you unite our hearts to his heart would you unite our words and our prayers to his words and his prayers? That, Lord, that we would join the great high priest and intercessor, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That the words of our mouth would be one with his. That the voice of your bride would be one with the voice of the bridegroom in this age in which we live, God. As you are transitioning the earth for the return of your son, would you prepare us as a bride? perfect in love, perfect in unity, as you and your Son are one. In Jesus' name, amen. The more and more that I've been pursuing the Lord, reading the Scriptures, 
studying in, in seminary over this past year, um, the more I find myself back in almost the same exact message. Um, very similar to the message that I see John preaching through his gospel and through the letters. And it's interesting that John, Pastor John, was reading from 1 John because first I was listening to, to the letters of John um, on my way uh, to church this morning, um, knowing that I'd preach out of this, but there's something very um, powerful in John's message and very simple. And it's basically this. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the flesh, And love each other as he has loved you. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the flesh and love one another as he has loved you. This is the message. Today I'm going to focus on John 17 and just kind of speaking out of the overflow of my heart. um, So if you're wondering what point I'm trying to make... If, if in my dialogue you, you, you can't seem to pin it down, just know that this is in essence what I'm trying to say. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh and love each other as he has loved you. John says that anyone that denies this truth or does not walk out this call is a deceiver and is the Antichrist. Simple message. John 17, this is an invitation by Jesus into a very deep and secret place of his heart. My primary prayer and goal of this life, and something I've written down, it's something I've typed out in my life vision and mission, is that I would know the deepest, most secret places of the heart of God. Because, friends, we have been invited into the heart of the creator of the universe. And when we open up John 17, he is, the context of this prayer is him sitting down and having his last meal with his best friends. And he is, if you remember a few chapters earlier, He has just wrapped a towel around his waist, spent time washing the feet of his disciples and telling them, as I have done for you, so do for one another. And he's sharing a meal with them right before he is handed over to be arrested and crucified. And we see the last prayer that Jesus prayed with his closest friends before he died. I say this because I want us to lay hold of this invitation that Jesus has given us into the center of his heart, my friends. This is my passion. This is my burning desire for the people I meet, for the people I invest in, is to get a revelation of Jesus Christ and to enter into that place of deep love and affection for him in the same way that he has for us. That is the invitation that Christ has for us. That is what he paid for at the cross. When we listen to this prayer of Jesus, we see something that is deeply burning inside of him. That his bride would be one. Perfect. Mature. Complete. 
one. And the phrase that I want to say drives me crazy, because it does, <laughs> as he's praying this prayer, is he's saying, Father, as, as, as you and I are one, that they may be one, and that they would be one in us. Friends, the, the gravity of this statement, I, I can't even begin to try to interpret or explain exactly what Jesus meant by it, but, but I'm... I'm I'm emphasizing it because I want it to be something that you're mulling over, that you're chewing, that you're meditating on, that you're contemplating, saying, Jesus, tell me more about this desire of your heart. Because, friends, let, let's just talk about the unity of Jesus and the Father for a minute, okay? This is very important in the Gospel of John and all the letters of John. Jesus says in this Gospel, I and the Father are one. He says in his letters, anyone who denies the Son denies the Father. That Jesus boldly says that anyone who loves me will be loved by my Father. Jesus was not ashamed of who he was. And friends, this truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, is something that the church for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, fought to maintain. And when Jesus Christ begins to get separated as not one, is not unified with the Father, is not fully God, fully man, uh, we begin to enter into a place of severe deception that will tear apart the body of Christ and that will pervert the purity of love that flows through the Father to the Son, through the Spirit, into the church, into the world. So Jesus and the Father, Jesus, fully God, fully man. John says, if you do not, if someone teaches otherwise, he is a deceiver. He is, or she is, the Antichrist. And I am in an environment where there are people boldly upholding this truth and there are people that are compromising this truth. And they are influenced by a spirit of Antichrist. Jesus and the Father, one. And Jesus prays, Father, in the same way that you and I are one, may they, my bride, be one. And not only that, but may they be one in us. You know, I, um, as I, as I, I grew up Episcopalian. Um, <laughs> come on, Episcopals, you know. <laughs> there is some things not good happening in the Episcopal Church that we need to be praying for them for. Um, but um, I grew up Episcopalian. In college, for two years, I attended a Messianic synagogue. <laughs> um, I became part of a 
very evangelical, charismatic campus ministry. And I've landed here in a house of prayer. And, and so it's just been very interesting to um, connect with, to relate to different people within the body of Christ, to see different expressions of worship, of preaching, of, 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 of ministry, of, of everything, of prayer, everything. Um, and, it's, and, and, you know, it's something in me, and I, I think it's something in a lot of us, that we want to be, be a part of the best one. We want to be a part of the coolest one, Right? We want to go to the church with the best worship, the best teaching, the best ministry, the best this, the best that. And, and, and we find ourselves sometimes that that's what's motivating us to, to uproot from one place and to go into another. <laughs> because something else is more on edge. Something else is more um, authentic. Something else is more, uh, more, more people are hungry for God in this place. Um, maybe that's not you. I hope it's not. Um, <laughs> But, but, but aside from that, just seeing different uh, expressions. And, and by the way, I'm going to a Methodist seminary right now. So it's just, it's very interesting. <laughs> like, what am I doing? How did I get here? Um, uh, I was arguing with one of my professors about the existence of Satan last semester. <laughs> I'm like... And that's not to speak for all Methodists. That's for one professor. Within, but it's in our theology class, so I was kind of concerned. Um. <laughs> but I've had to learn to appreciate and honor different streams of Christianity. And I, I love studying the roots of different movements, of different denominations, um, because they have all tapped into something um, very important in the heart of God. Um, and and, and, and my, my favorite place to focus on is actually the early church, the first uh, four centuries of Christianity. Love these guys. They did not like heresy, I promise you. <laughs> you think First John's intense? You should read some of these church fathers when it came to people denying the Son. It was intense. Um, so, it's made me a little crankier over the past year the more I've read those guys, but <laughs> trying to keep a heart of love. Um, uh, but but with, with, uh, with the Catholic Church, with the Episcopal Church, studying how, how, how Roman Catholicism came into being, and, and yes, there are different things, that, many things that I disagree with on, on what happened in the formation of that, but, but looking at the early church and as they were trying to figure out how do we relate to one another, what does a unified body look like when there is one heresy after another springing up and claiming to be authentic Christianity? And then during the Protestant Reformation, um, and I'm, I'm skipping a lot of other things that happen in between them, but, but what does, when, when God is highlighting something, a very important truth or truths um, and, 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 and the body, how does, what does a unified body look like when God's showing Martin Luther something or John Calvin something? What does unity look like when John Wesley is coming in with this message of sanctification and holiness? And, and then the Pentecostal movement of the 20th century, what does unity look like? And it's been bothering me. Because when I look with my natural eyes, 
I see a very fractured, dismembered bride. And I'll be honest, sometimes it makes me cranky and angry (laughs) and sad. And I have to look, I I talked to the Father, I talked to Jesus and said, what, because remember they're one, Um, (laughs) close call, (laughs) spirit of Antichrist is tricky. Father, what does this look like? What do we, what do we, do we, do we all need to just become Jewish Christians again? Do we all need to become Catholics or Episcopals again? Like these are the questions over the past 12 to 15 years that I've been asking the Lord. Um, But, 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 and I don't have the answer for that. But what I find in John 17 is that a very deep burning desire of Jesus to see his bride perfected in unity in the same way that the Father and Son are unified and that we would be unified together and that we would be made one in him. Um, So I confess to you today, I don't know what that looks like. I really don't. Um, As far as organizationally and institutionally, I really don't. But something I lean on very closely is that this is something that Jesus is going to make sure happens. And it's very interesting to me that the context of Jesus praying this prayer is him serving his friends, serving his servants, And says, as I have done for you, so do for one another. As the Father has loved me, so love one another. You know, it's, uh, for, for those of us in, that, for those that are, have been in ministry or have been in, 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 in uh, have been pastors. I don't want you to tune out if that's not who you are. This, this is for everybody. But, but it's, it can be challenging when you're a minister or when you're a pastor and, you, and the labors that you're, um, that you're doing, whether it's in prayer or whether it's in uh, works of service to, um, to the world or to the body of Christ, you see it and, and you see it benefiting another person's ministry. It can be really challenging. Um, especially when some of those people that you're trying to serve are thinking that you're trying to take their people and bring them over to you. <laughs> um, I've been in campus ministry at SMU, um, and, uh, and uh, since 2011 have been trying to start this, this culture of prayer and worship, of bringing unity to the body of Christ. John 17, we, there was a, when I was a student undergraduate, um, we would meet at the flagpole at 7 a.m., and we would pray out of John 17 almost every single time we met, saying, Father, that we would be one. Unify your church. Unify your bride, <laughs> because we, we desired to see that. Um, and then that I carried that desire into the ministry that I've been involved in for the past number of years. And, it's, um, and 
And what the, the particular work and call that God's had me to, uh, has, has called me to do on that campus has been primarily uh, praying for and promoting and serving other leaders in the body of Christ. And when I'm crying out for souls to get saved, and I'm crying out for signs and wonders to be done, um, and, and it, it's really exciting to me when I get to, to see the fulfillment of that in my own life. Um, and I don't think we should disconnect from that. I don't think we should say that's, that's never going to happen. If you pray, it's always someone else is going to benefit. But I had to learn that when I saw another ministry or another church benefiting from my labors, that that was a win. That that was a success. That when the Catholic ministry at SMU calls me and says, we're doing five baptisms this weekend, would you like to come? Or when I sit down with the priest for a prayer meeting one day and he starts praying in tongues you know, and, and asking me if I saw a vision during prayer. I was like, what's going on? He's the only one that showed up to that prayer meeting. And they have missionaries that they're sending out onto the campus that are that are that many multiple days throughout the week are preaching the gospel. I'm talking they're preaching Jesus. And they're leading people to Jesus. It's awesome. I've seen another church come in, a non-denominational church, um, uh, over the past few years come onto SMU campus um, and and uh, and uh, from Antioch Church. And they, they're just constantly telling me about someone else just came to the Lord. We're doing baptisms. We're baptizing a student in the fountain this weekend. <laughs> you know, can you come? And I just, and, and we start all these small groups and all these things are happening. And it's, and it's, and I, and two things are happening. First of all, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm like, ah, you know, like I've been praying for this. You know, I've, I've been preaching the gospel, you know. I've been telling people they need Jesus. I've been showing them love. I've been trying to make disciples. And then, but, but I'm seeing it fulfilled through another portion of the body of Christ. And I had to learn to say, God, thank you. That's a win. That's a win for me. That's a win for Christ. That's a win for the church. Because if we get caught up thinking that with only within our sphere is what counts, friends, we are telling the hand, I do not need you. We are telling the eye of the body, I do not need you. That what's happening in your sphere and your realm is not important. And that does not mean that we don't ask God to see it within our sphere. That does not mean that we don't keep contending and pressing in for that. But something has to happen when we start seeing another person and their church or ministry experiencing success or experiencing life or, or, um, or, 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 or seeing results, something kind of happens in our hearts. And we want to have a response of a blessing, of blessing and saying, God, this is, this is a win for the body of Christ. I had a dream uh, almost two years ago now. This was before I, I started back as, as a graduate student at SMU. And I had a dream that I was in a classroom um, with, uh, and the professor, he, uh, he called on me at one point and had me stand up in front of the class 
And he, he identified me as the prayer guy. He's like, oh, you're the prayer pastor here. <laughs> you're, and I was like, okay, um, sure. Um, and so I stand up and he says, he sits down, he asks me this question. What do you think are the main hindrances to prayer on this campus? And I stand up and immediately out of my mouth in the dream says, number one, the body of Christ needs to be unified. And in the dream, I was very clear. I'm not talking about a false unity. I'm talking about truly coming together under Christ. And then the second thing I said was um, a need for a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit at the preaching of the gospel. Um, and, and in the dream, I knew that that question, uh, the, the professor, as he asked it to me, I knew that that was kind of a preparation for an end of the term exam, that I'd have to, that this was an opportunity for me to rehearse what I'd say at the end of the semester. Well, in real life, at the end of that very semester, um, I'm uh, helping out with prayer initiatives, um, 40 days of prayer, um, helping get women's wellness resources out to women with unplanned pregnancies and um, post-abortive uh, trauma that they're experiencing, um, just disseminating those things all throughout campus. And I get a call um, from, from a friend of a friend who's writing an article about ministry on college campuses, um, and she's, she wanted to interview me. And she's asking me all these questions, and then she comes to this question, and, and I start remembering the dream during this interview. I'm like, oh, my God, here it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and she, she basically said, what do you think is the most important thing that the, that's needed on the college campus? And, and me, being the prayer guy, um, said, <laughs> said we, prayer. We've, this campus needs prayer. Um, and then she, and I almost shared with her the dream, but I said, no, you know what? I'm just going to see what happens. And then her question was almost exactly that of the professor in the dream, is what do you think are the biggest obstacles to prayer? happening on the campus. <laughs> and I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Unity in the body of Christ and a demonstration of Holy Spirit and of power. And friends, none of Jesus doesn't want us to compromise on any of these things. Because in the same place that he offered this prayer of unity was in the same place a couple of chapters earlier that says, anyone who believes in me, the works I have been doing, he will do greater works than these. And if you, you believe in me because of the works that you have seen, friends, we, have, we want to contend, we want to pray, and we want to step out when it comes to moving in a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if they do not believe our words, then the works that we perform in the name of Jesus will turn the hearts of many. And perhaps not all will believe. But friends, when Jesus started moving in power, much more people started to come and follow him. We move in power. We move in love. That they may be one. As you and I, Father, are one. Um... You know, it's also interesting to me that in this uh, context of this passage is Jesus um, sharing a Passover meal. And he would institute it um, as 
as what we come to know today as the Holy Communion, as the Lord's Supper. And uh, we, we, uh, in, in the other gospel accounts, we have Jesus, as they're sitting down over this very Passover meal, that he's taking the bread and he's saying, this is my body, which I have given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That he is gathered together, sharing a meal, talking to them about loving one another. And he's saying, this is my body. This is my body. This is my body. But what we also see later on is Paul saying, we are his body. That we are one body with many members. And that when we come to the Lord's table, that when we come to partake of the cup um, and the bread, that we we participate in the body and blood of Christ. I believe that one of the most important ways that God is regathering um, his body is through um, the Holy Communion. Um, and that is going to be a miracle. Because theology over communion has been one of the most divisive theological points in all of church history. In the Protestant Reformation, um, theology regarding the Holy Communion or the Eucharist was the central issue that the Reformers took with the Catholics and that the Reformers took with one another. And hardly anyone <laughs> was agreeing. And as I'm studying the Protestant Reformation, I'm thinking, oh my God, Lord, there's, there's brokenness over theology, over the body of Christ in the communion. It's, it, it's breaking down. The theology is breaking down. The body of Christ itself is breaking down. And I don't even know what it looks like for, uh, uh, for a Pentecostal charismatic, a Catholic and a Lutheran and a Calvinist to come together in the same room and take the Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper in a way that they don't feel like they're dishonoring their tradition or one another. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to happen, but it's going to. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, uh, We're going to take communion in a few moments, so ushers, you can start to prepare that. Um, But um, before we take it, I want to to show a video. Um, um, Lou Engel, um, you'll see in this video, Lou Engel announcing an event coming up in April. Um, and this, the reason I'm showing this video is, uh, is not actually to um, advertise this event, um, though I gladly do that as a secondary cause because I love Lou Engel and I believe that what he's doing is from the Lord. Um, but as I was preparing the message um, for this week, John 17 kept resonating on my heart. I'm like, Lord, I don't know where you want to go with this and what you want to do with this. Um, but um, I felt like at one point he told me to look up on Elijah list um, and look at recent prophetic words. And um, one thing I found was a word by Lou Engle and by an African-American pastor in Los Angeles. And they were talking about a reconciliation between Lou Engle and this pastor. Um, and apparently there was some negative interchange a few years ago, and the Lord put on Lou Engle's heart some time ago to call and reconcile with this man 
Um, and, and, and this pastor invited the call to come in and say, we want to unite with you in prayer and believe for, an, for a greater outpouring than what happened at Azusa Street in the early 20th century. William Seymour, an African-American man who became a leader, in the leader in the Pentecostal movement. Division started coming in as racism began dividing who should be leading this thing. Um, and it's very interesting to me to look at uh, William Seymour and to see how God used this man who um, began to foster an environment for racial reconciliation at the turn of the century. And so we're seeing that happening. Uh, um, we've seen it happen a lot throughout this, this past century, but, but what's happening in April is so important, I believe. And as Lou Engels talking about this event, he quotes John 17 in his words, saying, I believe that Jesus is calling us to, to pray for the unity of the church, that they may be one as we are one. Um, so as you watch this video, um, it, it may be something that, Lord, stirs on your heart to go to an event. But again, it's not so much to advertise it as it is to say, here's a sign and a wonder of the unity in the body of Christ that God is bringing in our day. So if we could show that video. In 1997, Promise Keepers put a million men on the mall to pray for America, an historic event in church history. And I begin to declare the hearts of the fathers are turning to the children, and there's coming a corresponding movement of the young people turning to the fathers. I had no idea what was being launched. It led to a supernatural series of events that on September 2nd, into the new millennium, 400,000 young people gathered together for 12 hours to cry out to God. It launched the movement of the call, and now we're 16 years into that movement. I always knew that the call was some kind of like a John the Baptist type movement because it was about fasting and prayer and Nazarites, and it was about turning America back to God. It was after this that I began to ask the question, has the call failed? Because we haven't seen America turn back to God. And the Lord spoke to me when I asked that question. And he said, Lou, if it truly was a John the Baptist type movement, you can bet there's a Jesus movement coming. It's another massive baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're dreaming about. For three years, we begin to pray stadiums would be filled. So I call my friend and I tell him this story and he says, Lou, do you remember my dream that I had? He says, in the dream, I received five sets of five plane tickets and in the dream, we could only fly united. And he knew it had to do that the church must unite because only a united church can heal a divided nation. He said, I was so concerned that I would miss the expiration date. And it was in 1,080 days, the tickets expired. I wake up from the dream, look up 1,080 days from the dream. Guess what day it is? It's April 9, 2016, the 110th anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. From that moment on, I've known that God has a date with his church. 
As we're praying this, my friend and I, we actually go to the Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles, and somehow they let us get in there and we claim it for Stadium Christianity. Then I get an email from a young lady in Washington State. She says, I had this dream. I saw this huge stadium and it was both a football field and it was a baseball field. It was so vivid. She said, I woke up and I Googled to see if there was any stadiums that was both the Super Bowl and the World Series. She said, there's only one. It's the Coliseum in Los Angeles. I think you're supposed to do the Colazusa there. So I was convinced in my heart that God wanted to do the stadium, but I just didn't have faith to raise the kind of money that it would cost to buy the field. I was reading Matthew 13, and it says, when a man finds a treasure, he goes and hides it in a field and sells all that he has to buy that field with joy. You know, there just comes a time when you just want something more than anything else. For me, my calling has been revival for 40 years. And I would rather get revival than anything else except my own kids loving Jesus. And I sense the Lord said, sell the house to buy the field, the stadium, for the treasure of the unity of the body of Christ and for revival. This is not about some huge thing that I'm doing. I could care less if anybody knows about it, but I want revival. And I think we're at a point in America that everybody's got to begin to ask the question, how much do we really want God in America? Maybe it's time for the whole body of Christ to buy the field, to sell out for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the next year we will begin to see the greatest awakening America has ever seen. And we won't just talk about the past, we'll talk about the future, a new Jesus movement a new Azusa Street. Come, not just join us. Let's work together, mobilize, and move this thing across the earth. We're not going for an event. We're going for a massive break. It's not just Azusa then. It's Azusa now.